The following is a presentation of the Premier Dance Network. Hello and welcome back. Thanks for coming to chat. I am your host, Bea Corollis, and you are listening to Pa to Chat Talking Dance on the Premier Dance Network. In this weekly podcast, I candidly offer educational conversations and thoughtful analysis on all things dance. With my vast background as a director, choreographer, instructor, and dancer, I am happy to share my 15 plus years of experience with you, whether you're a professional dancer or just listening in for an insider's look into our fascinating art form. So, put your earbuds in, grab a cup of coffee, sit back, and let's talk dance. Here we are at the end of another week. My week has consisted of my first trip to Missouri and Kansas for one of my dearest friend's weddings. Immediately upon my return, I headed straight into a crazy week of teaching all across New York City and up into Connecticut and around there. (laughs) Exhausted doesn't even begin to denote how I've felt this past week. But do not fret, I'm taking a few days off for self-care by visiting Cape May, New Jersey with my husband this coming weekend. Hopefully we'll be laying on the beach, sipping beer, and not thinking about the dauntingly busy few months before us as we prepare for our October move to New York City. But enough about me and my busy schedule. Here is my class reminder for any people in or visiting New York City this summer or wanting to do a workshop or masterclass with me throughout the end of August. First, we have my regular Friday advanced beginner ballet classes at 6 p.m. and Sunday basic ballet classes at 6 p.m. On, at Broadway Dance Center. I'm also te- teaching professional level ballet classes at Steps on Broadway every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at 2.30 p.m. through the end of July. I'll also be teaching intermediate contemporary classes on Fridays at 11.30 a.m. and advanced intermediate contemporary classes on Sundays at 3.30 p.m. at Steps over the next three weeks. So that will run through the first week of August if you're interested in getting some contemporary technique with me. Lastly, if you are interested in exploring ballet and contemporary technique and then also having the opportunity to be in a work that I'm creating, I am running a contemporary ballet residency, a choreographic residency in Westchester, Pennsylvania. So if you are curious about that and would like to attend, it's mostly for advanced and professional dancers. Uh, If you send me a message, I can give you details for that choreographic residency with Nickerson Rossi Dance in Westchester, Pennsylvania. Lastly, I'll be running ballet and contemporary master classes at Uptown Dance Center in Houston, Texas on Friday, August 29th and Saturday, August 30th. So you can also message me for that. I think they'll also be posting some information on their website soon. So I hope that you please join me to dance this summer. It's always funny to me the way that people reach out to me. (laughs) I can go a month or two with absolutely no contact from any of my listeners, but then suddenly, almost like everybody's on the same wavelength, I get a blast of messages from a handful of you guys. This week has been more like the latter, and I've heard from a group of listeners telling me that they're enjoying my content, that they, they also shared their own stories with me, uh, and then also one thing that I really enjoy because I like to hear from you guys and I, I like to make sure that I'm making relevant podcasts for you. Uh, a lot of people have been asking for specific content. So I figured that today, since it's been a little while since I've 
sort of done an audience topic, I figured that I would talk about one that was offered to me by a listener named Mary. So thanks for requesting this, Mary. Uh, this is a podcast for all of the adult recreational dancers out there that listen to Pod Chat Talking Dance, or if you're an adult that's been thinking about getting into dance classes, uh, hopefully this will give you some ideas. I've talked a bit here and there about the adult recreational dancer, but I've never focused one episode completely on you guys. Mary asked for technique recommendations for adult dancers since she's more of an intermediate, advanced recreational adult dancer. So I figured I'd up the ante and offer some general tips for anyone from a beginner dancer all the way up to technique recommendations for those intermediate, advanced dancers. Most adult dancers, they either danced young and left dance and returned to it, or they started dancing well into their adulthood and now dance for purely for joy, fitness, and mobility. So I often share tips like I'm about to share with you in my basic and advanced beginner ballet classes at Broadway Dance Center. So uh, like you already know the schedule. If you, if you want to gain more information, you know where to find me. On to the tips and recommendations. Okay, my first bit of advice for anybody that is considering beginning recreational classes, I, I, I really, 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 really suggest that you call the school or go in and ask them uh, what their levels mean. It seems like it would be pretty straightforward <laughs> when you look at like beginner and intermediate and advanced, but many schools actually have other classes like an introduction class or an absolute beginner class. Um, and those usually come before a beginner class. So just because you're new to dance and technically a beginner, you'll want to make sure that you are entering at the correct level. Nothing is less inspiring to keep you taking class than to start in an exceedingly overwhelming class. It's just really kind of a, I mean, a lot, some people can overcome that, but it, it just kind of puts a bad taste in your mouth. So uh, if you really want to have the opportunity to learn and to enjoy class, I always say that make sure you call ahead of time and just ask them how their levels work and what they would suggest for somebody who has absolutely no experience. At the same time, I do just want to let you know that you will probably feel a bit overwhelmed at the start of your, your first classes. There's, there's a lot of information to learn even if you spend the entire class at bar and you don't make it to center or jumps throughout your class. For instance, there are five main positions of the feet, but we most often negate third position. So you really only have to, to know four, but there's still four positions. There are similar positions for the arms. There's names for bending our knees, stretching your leg on the floor, stretching your leg off the floor to 45 degrees, stretching your leg off the floor to 90 and above, and just so much more. I always tell my students in my basic ballet class, just keep your eyes open and don't be afraid to follow somebody who looks like they know what, what they're doing. Because chances are that at one point when they started, they were doing the exact same thing. Dance is a, a very visual art and we learn through watching the teacher, but we also learn through watching ourselves. Also, before you step into a ballet class, I just suggest that you study a few videos online to get an idea of things. Kind of like reading a review of a movie before you choose to go or not. 
American Ballet Theater has an online dictionary of ballet steps. Um, but right now, I'm, I'm actually a really big fan of this new web series that was created uh, by one of the instructors at Pacific Northwest Ballet in their school called Ballet Informs. I'm pretty sure they have a website. Um, you can also find they have a page on Facebook. And they've really been putting a lot of uh, fantastic videos out explaining everything from technique to artistry uh, and beyond, everything from beginner to, to advanced to professional. So if you have a chance, I would suggest that you go ahead and study up before you step into a class so that you're not completely blind-sided when you show up. And it, maybe if there are a lot of regos in class, they just start with plies and you don't know what a plie is yet. All right. Next up, please, please, please be aware of what is acceptable dress in class. A woman showed up to one of my ballet classes recently with a baseball cap on and her hair in a ponytail. She was pretty upset when I asked her to take it off and left, and she ended up leaving after bar. I just want to put this out there. It's just a reminder. Ballet is a very particular art form that teaches great respect and discipline for the art. So don't take offense if a teacher does suggest something to you. They're just trying to teach you the code of how our art form works. And if you learn it, you will actually be able to step in most any studio across the world and, and know, for the most part, how to fit in. Generally, women should wear a leotard and pink tights with pink ballet slippers, and their hair should be back and out of their face. As an adult, you don't necessarily have to have it in a tight bun, but you don't want it flopping around if you're doing pirouettes, smacking yourself in the face, or jumping up and down, and like I said, flopping around. Men should wear black tights with a dance belt underneath it. Uh, a dance belt is, uh, what's the best way to explain this without scaring anybody? Essentially, it's like underwear, but the front, it, it has a lot of coverage. It's usually quilted so that it, it doesn't show the lines of your junk. <laughs> um, also, there's a thick thong in the back that attaches to a thick waistband. And essentially, the the way that this thing is set up is so that you can pull your junk up um, and and protect it. And it's, it's strong so that it holds it in place. Uh, on top of your dance belt, you should wear, I already said those black tights, and then I'd suggest a solid color t-shirt and black ballet slippers. Of course, these are adult classes, so there is more freedom, but hats are inappropriate. If you need to wear glasses, make sure that they aren't going to fly off your face. Uh, not wearing a dance belt for a man isn't only distracting and inappropriate, but it leaves the man at risk of crushing his testicles. Yep, I'm just saying it how it is. <laughs> so make sure, men, that you do a little research get those dance belts. Socks aren't recommended for beginners, but they are okay if you don't have slippers yet. I mean, I, I'm a professional. I wear socks every day at bar. Also, in my contemporary classes, it's only socks. But in, in ballet, generally, especially as you learn the art form, you should wear ballet slippers. You can also wear certain loose athletic clothing over your more form-fitting leotard or tights. But I don't really recommend it for all of class because ballet is all about studying the lines of your body in the mirror. But if you are uncomfortable, a lot of men are not comfortable wearing tights and a dance belt first right away. But as you get into class and you see other men doing it and you get more comfortable with how things work, you can slowly take off those sweatpants. Or for the women, um, maybe just wear the clothes that you can at least see your line in. Uh, 
that's kind of the point to see the line also to move but you you want to see the line and the aesthetic so it'll help your teachers give you corrections and help you get better so that you aren't a introductory or a beginner student forever i always tell my my my, my students i always say don't you want to move up to the next level you don't want to be a, a forever beginner student all right next up no cell phones <laughs> uh, in class, really, I, I've been having this issue a lot lately. Um, I, I know that sometimes we do need our, our phones in, in emergencies. If you do need your phone for class, be sure to tell the instructor why you do. I do have a student in uh, one of my one of my regular classes in Philadelphia who is usually on call. They they work at a hospital, um, and also I have I've had some swings on Broadway pull their phones out. Um, and they need to check in to see if they're needed for the their shows that night or if they need to be at the theater early or late uh, for those Broadway shows. So just make sure you inform the instructor beforehand so that they don't think that you're texting in the middle of class. Um, also, just so you know, there are proper times to use the bathroom or to exit class if, you, if you're going to leave early. Um, you shouldn't just leave right away because you have to go. Obviously, if it's an emergency, go. I mean, I don't want you to you know, do anything in your tights. <laughs> but there are appropriate times. Those appropriate times are at bar. If the teacher gives an extended stretch combination, um, that, that's a time to go. The best time to go is between bar and center. Uh, you can also go between combinations and center, but really just try to be inconspicuous as you leave and don't let the door slam, all that kind of stuff, and then quietly enter back in. Just don't make a big deal or a spectacle out of it. There is nothing more distracting than leaving in the middle of bar, so I really don't suggest you do it. But if you absolutely must say that you have an appointment that you want that you need to get to, tell the teacher before your class, or wait till they walk by and ask if you can be excused. For instance, if you need to use the restroom, I know we are all adults and we should be able to do what we want to when we want to. But you aren't the only person in class, and you need to respect those around you, and especially the teacher who is giving their art to you. So, just a couple tips there. Alright, also, here's another one. If you aren't sure of what the step is, you should generally ask your teacher. I see students often reaching across the bar and, and trying to ask somebody who's standing near them uh, how to execute a step or any certain information. And what I usually see is that that dancer will they'll, they'll try to be really nice and help that dancer out, but then that other dancer might get in the habit thinking it's okay to constantly reach over. So just keep in mind that you are taking away their focus in class. And it's training, it's very, uh, it's very self-focused, it's very internal. Um, and then it, there, there are a few moments where it becomes external. But you want to allow the dancers to, to have their full focus. And it's also important because dancers get injured when they lose their focus as well. The teacher is there for a reason, so just raise your hand and ask for clarification. Don't do it in the middle of a combination. You should always do it when a combination is complete or right before a combination starts. I am that person that always tells people that they should ask questions, but just something that you do need to know. If you find that you're asking questions after every combination, you might be disrupting the flow of the class. Uh, like I said, a lot of information is thrown at you in class, so it, it does make complete and total sense that you might need to have some things cleared up. 
But if you find that you are needing clarification over and over and over again, try not to disrupt the flow of the class and just keep a couple of those things in mind and ask the teacher after class. Uh, the teacher has more time after class and it, again, it, it, it allows for the other dancers to, to have their time too. So uh, just, I always, it's, it's like riding the bus being on a plane, like sitting next to somebody anywhere. Just be conscientious of the people around you. All right, so those are my tips for more beginner students. Now I want to offer you a few technique recommendations for some of my more intermediate and advanced recreational students. The, the number one thing I see in class that I often call the epidemic of ballet in the United States is the disengagement of your butts. <laughs> yes, your rear end, your gluteus, maximus and minimus, whatever you want to call it. This is evident in a few ways. When a dancer plies, if their hips drop behind them instead of going straight down towards the floor, then you are not engaging your rear end. If you tendu derriere or behind you and the front of your hip has a crease, uh, or you feel that your weight drops into your heel, you are pretty probably disengaged in your, your rear end. If you find that you're in releve and that your heels are constantly dropping down, probably one of the things that's affecting that is that your rear end is behind you. Because if you think about it, you your heels are behind your are the on the back part of your body and your rear end is on the back part of your body and there's a muscle a lot of muscle there and muscle is heavy so if it's relaxed and released chances are it's going to be a lot more difficult to keep those heels up in releve I always tell my students to imagine that there is an 8x10 headshot that they need to squeeze between their cheeks. And I'm not talking about the cheeks of your face. <laughs> if that were to drop, then you aren't engaging. When you do engage, it creates dimples, and this is why dancers are known for their nice bums. But the truth here is that a disengaged rear end means that your legs aren't really attached to anything uh, in your torso except ligaments, tendons, and bones. Because if you think about it, your legs attach to your hips, and your hips are the beginning of your, your torso. So you need to make sure that you're using those, those supporting muscles so that you can control your legs and that your legs become a part of your, your whole body and your core. And I, I'm sure you will find more control. Another thing that I feel gets lost a great deal in adult classes is port-a-bras. Port-a-bras is really one of those defining things where you can tell somebody is really trained or not. Many adult students that come to me look straightforward without any incline, tilt, or turn of the head. A palmol and port-a-bras, essentially the upper body, are just as important as the legs. I, I love the idea of balancing a palmol because when it was explained to me when I went to school of American Ballet, it was the first time that the reasoning to use your head a certain way made sense to me. Essentially, you lift your chin up slightly to allow the spotlights and the lights at the front of the stage to enter your eyes. Your eyes are in deep sockets in your head, and there's a bone over top of them. So if you look straight forward, those lights, they hit that bone, but they leave darkness in your eyes. So you, you lift the chin up so that your, your eyes have light in them and the audience can see your eyes. Then from there, you need to turn your head to the side and then tilt your cheeks slightly up to the light because just like the eyes, uh, you have cheekbones and those cheekbones hang over a, a major part of the rest of your face and it leaves shadows. So we, we lift our head up so that the eyes have light and then we turn and then tilt 
so that you light up the rest of your face. We are in a performing art and we want the audience to be able to see your faces even if you never plan to dance on stage. We it's a we are training you as you would perform on stage even if that's not not your goal. All right. Here's one, uh, improving flexibility and improving your turnout. So there's a lot of people that have certain ideas of how far you should go. Use your natural turnout. Use your natural flex flexibility. And as adults, it's more important that we, we go into that because you don't, you don't have the luxury of having uh, growth plates and uh, bones that aren't fully grown and uh, all of that stuff going on to really like sort of tweak it before it solidifies. But the way that I explain to my adult students and pretty much everybody is that in order to improve your flexibility and turnout, you need to go somewhere uncomfortable but not painful. Uh, the best way I can explain this is with your turnout. So most people don't have natural 180 degree turnout. So say that you are parallel with your big toes touching and your heels touching and you lift your all of your toes up off the ground and you sort of go onto the backs of your heels. If you turn your feet out from there and then just drop your the balls of your feet down the floor, that's essentially your natural turnout. So from there, in order to, and, and sorry, that's the natural turnout from your hips. So from there, you if you want to improve your turnout, if you lift that up again and you pull it back maybe in half an inch to an inch on both sides, that is going to maybe take you to an uncomfortable place. You don't want to go to a place where you're in pain, but you want to be in that uncomfortable place because if you work in an uncomfortable place for, say, a week or a month or depending on how many classes you're taking, eventually that uncomfortable place will become comfortable again, and then that will be your natural turnout. Then from there, you want to go a little bit further, so you take the next step. Same with, with stretching. It's that idea that you don't want to be comfortable, but you don't want to be in pain, so you go just slightly past your comfort zone, and then once that uncomfortable zone becomes co your comfort zone, then you go to the next step. Um, there, there of course is an end, but uh, that's pretty much 180 degree turnout, and that's essentially the maximum of your flexibility. Um, I, I do suggest that you keep your muscles engaged while stretching versus relaxing. Say that you have your leg up on the bar and you're bending forward over it and your knees slightly bent, or say that you're doing a split and you find that your knees are slightly bent. Really, at that point, you're just kind of stretching into your ligaments and tendons in the back of your knee. Um, you're not really engaging the muscles. So make sure that your legs are fully engaged. Okay. Engage those muscles, folks. Okay. We got one or two more here for you guys. Uh, releve. I, I would suggest stop thinking of releve and balances turns and more as a rise. I know that it means to rise, but uh, I just think that if you think of it this way, it'll help you more. Initially, your heels do go up, and I, that, that's where I believe releve comes from. But after that, you actually need to be pressing your heels out over your big toe and your second toe. Releve, it, it's... It, it just, it's really pressure. If you, if you point, let's taking it out of your feet, if you have your arm straight and you point to your index finger and you try to come down to the ground and then backwards and touch your elbow from underneath, you feel a lot of pressure in the front of your ankle. That's not your ankle. <laughs> in, the, in the front of your wrist. I'm actually doing this right now. Um, and you want to sort of create that same pressure uh, with your heel going into your arch so that you, you can feel it going out. And that will fully engage your releve, um, which is balance and 
that's tying me into my last thing that I wanted to talk about. So balance. I have this analogy that your balance your your balance should be like a one room uh, house. So if you had a generic one room house, it would probably have four walls, uh, uh, a roof, and a and a floor. So we already have the floor when we're standing. If you think of it this way, essentially this. Okay, if you press your heel, just like we were talking about, to your highest relevé. If you aren't fully extended to the maximum that your joint can extend, what ends up happening is you're in this middle place where your heel could drop or your heel could press further into relevé. So you have the ability to fall down and you have the ability to wobble forward. So you have to fully extend your relevé over. And so essentially what that does is that creates a wall of pressure on one side of the body on the side. So from there, and we're, turn, we're doing this turned out, we're not doing this parallel. So you have maximum pressure of the ankle, and it's, it's on, let's say it's our right foot. So you have a maximum pressure on the right side of your body. We're in first position relevé. So from there, the next joint, you have your knee. Now from here, you want to do the same. If your knee is slightly bent, it can bend more or it can straighten, which makes you wobble a lot. So we have to fully extend the backs of our knees. What that does, so again, you're in first, you have your, your, your turn on your right leg. You have that right arch out. You have that wall on the right. If you fully extend the back of your knee, now because you're turned out, you'll have that wall of pressure on the left. So you got that there. You got two walls, your side walls. So we already talked about squeezing your rear end. And when you do that and engage, what it does is it neutralizes your pelvis and it brings it slightly forward and it creates pressure in the front of, of your body. So you have that wall on the right, you have the wall on the left, and now you have that pressure at the front. And then, as most of us know, you pull your abs in towards your spine, almost like you're doing a never-ending crunch. And that creates pressure behind you. So now you have a wall on the right with your arch. You have fully extended. You have a wall on your left with the back of your knee fully extended. You have a wall in the front with your rear end engaged, neutralizing your pelvis. And then you have a wall behind you with your stomach engaged with your abs pulling back towards your spine. So from there, you're fully extended, fully engaged. You take your shoulder, which goes over your rib, over your hip, over your knee, over your ball of your foot, and you put pressure down. You pull almost like if you have your shoulder lifted to your ear, and you slowly push it down into the ground and keep that engaged down into the ground. That's your roof. So that's your four, your four walls. So you have the fully engaged arched, fully engaged back of the leg, fully engaged rear end pressing the hips forward and then fully engaged stomach pulling back into the spine and then fully engaged shoulder down and that gives you a solid foundation for you to balance off of so i hope that made sense to you hopefully you can visualize that um it's kind of complicated but i think it's clear enough that you should be able to get that I started working with adult recreational dancers back around 2012 when I first started freelancing and was looking for another way to support myself during famine periods of my freelance performance career. I'm not going to lie, I wasn't particularly passionate about teaching this group of students, but I had a natural knack for it. While today I am most passionate about working with professional and pre-professional dancers, I have really grown to enjoy my time working with my recreationally dancing adults. First off, they're adults, so they want to be in class. They aren't kids who are being forced to, to go to class because the parents thought it would be a good activity or they wanted a babysitter. The adults made the decision to be there, often before or after a hard day at work, so they really wanted to be there. 
Second, the atmosphere in the studio for these classes is so much more relaxed than a pre-professional or professional atmosphere. While many of my students do take class seriously, they are well aware that they are not working towards a professional career in dance. That really opens up the class to allow me to teach appreciation of dance from all sides of the theater. In fact, I often start my adult recreational classes at Broadway Dance Center with a trivia question to inspire students to learn about our beautiful art form. I hope that this inspires them to to be curious about dance and to buy tickets to see shows uh, and to support organizations that they appreciate. There are many ways to enjoy dance without being on stage, and passionate people like the dancers I find in my my more recreational adult classes, like I said, they do buy those tickets. They educate their friends who know nothing about dance and maybe bring them into class. Uh, they help support companies in many ways, and they keep the cycle of dance going around and around and around. There are many wonderful things that I've had the opportunity to impart upon this community, but they've also taught me a few things along the way as well. I'm grateful that I've gone to help educate and interact with this lovely group within our arts community, and I look forward to continuing to share our beautiful art with them into the future. So, with that... I hope that you enjoyed this week's episode of Pod to Chat Talking Dance. If there are any topics you'd like to hear me talk about, please feel free to reach out to me via my website contact page at www.barrycorollis.com. Again, that's www.barrycorollis.com. You can also reach out on there if you'd like to become a sponsor for our podcast or to book masterclasses in ballet or contemporary technique for choreography or speaking engagements. I hope you enjoyed listening and talking dance with me. If you enjoyed this chat, please feel free to share, rate, and review our podcast on iTunes. Every bit of extra visibility helps keep these podcasts running. And if this didn't fulfill your dance fix, check out my sister podcast on the Premier Dance Network. New hosts from your favorite dance companies are being added monthly. If you want to connect with me to see where I'm choreographing, teaching, and what I'm doing in my everyday life, you can follow me on Facebook. Instagram, where my name is B. Carolus, or on Twitter at Bariscos. Also, be sure to subscribe to my blog, Life of a Freelance Dancer, where I've been writing about working as a freelance artist for over five years. I also have a YouTube channel, B. Carolus, featuring my choreography. Thanks for listening in to Pod to Chat. I hope you return next Friday to talk dance with me, and remember to go out and support your local dance scene.